I'm telling you as a woman and as a pornographic actress that there's nothing unsexy about asking somebody if you can touch them. numbers are up, which means that I think we have a bunch of new listeners right now. So I wanted to go through a few things real quick. First, you'll hear me talk about my sex research during this episode and also my streaming course, Please Her in Bed. If you're interested in that, you can go to pleaseherinbed.com. It is a streaming course based on my sex research of over a thousand women about what makes a man great in bed, but it's not just about body parts. It's really about how you can lead as a man in sexual contexts and how you can invite her forward, how to talk about sex in a meaningful way that feels playful and welcoming and helpful to her in terms of getting getting her to open up and helping support her in that. If that's interesting to you, you can use the code DEARMEN, all one word, for podcast listeners. That is a discount taking the course from $97 to $69. So that's fun. Second thing is, I am a coach for men in relationships and in sex and dating. And we work with about um, three different kinds of men. So We really work with any men, but I just wanted to go over briefly the kinds of men who tend to show up for our work and who we work with best. So I coach alongside my co-coach, Jason Lang, who you've heard on the podcast several times. He's on a lot. Um, And we basically work with, um, yeah, men that are sort of fall into three categories. The first is men in their 20s and 30s who have sex with women, but have never really figured out women and have never had a lot of success in dating or relationships. We also work with a second category of men who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and up who have been in a bad relationship or are in a challenging relationship now and trying to evaluate whether it's going to work or they're divorced or divorcing and they know that they don't want to repeat the patterns of that relationship in the future. They know they want to work on themselves so that they attract healthier partners in the future. And then the third category we work with are men that are in relationship and want more. They're craving more with either their wife or their long-term partner. They just know that more intimacy is possible, more sexual connection, more closeness. They just know that that they they want to grow. They want to grow and they know that it will serve the relationship to do so. So those are the men we work with. If you are interested in coaching, you can always go to evolutionary.men slash training to go deeper than the podcast and take our free training. Or if you know that you're already ready to get started, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply. So without further ado, we will get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am excited to welcome to the podcast Tasha Rain, who is an adult film actress and author and advocate, I would say. I'll call you an advocate. Um, And we're talking about how to make consent sexy. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So I know it's sort of a broad general question to start, but I'm curious... How, how did you get into the adult film industry? Can you share a little about your background and then kind of how your career has, has shifted and you've gotten to where you are now? Oh, sure. I discovered internet porn when I was in my teens and I thought it was pretty cool. I had just discovered AOL 
I was like, all right, so people make these types of videos. And then I really feel like when the Girls Next Door came out on E! was when I realized that I wanted to be in the adult entertainment industry. I had never really seen women like Holly Madison. And I was like, oh my gosh, that looks like a really fun life. Like she gets to parties. She gets to dress up all the time. She has baby animals everywhere. The Playboy Mansion is for me. Like I was just, I knew it right away. That sounded fun to me, but it was just kind of like a fantasy. And then as I started to become an adult, like I want to say around age, you know, 17, I'm almost 18. I realized like I could actually try to do it when I moved up to LA. And so when I moved up to LA, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get to the Playboy Mansion. And I kind of got distracted and ended up stripping at a strip club. And even before that, actually, I was like on Craigslist looking for jobs as a Playboy model. I was so naive. I didn't know that that's like not how you get in to Playboy. Like I had no idea, even though I feel like I could, in retrospect, I could have like done more research, but I just kind of was like, I'm just going to figure this out. And so I like dabbled in escorting work and then stripping. And then somebody invited me up to the Playboy Mansion. And then from there, I was like very empowered after reading How to Make Love Like a Porn Star by Jenna Jameson. And I kind of just like read her book and went for it. And that's, you know, how I got into the adult industry. And so... I performed in the adult industry, like in front of the camera, making movies for all of my 20s. And then later on in my 20s, um, the industry kind of started to shift towards just like a different layout. So I was able to, you know, create content on my own and not really worry about being booked by other companies. And also just like my personal life situation changed where I didn't actually have to work anymore. And so now, or like, you know, in the adult industry, at least. And so now I kind of just get to do what I want to do for fun. Not also, I mean, yes, for money, but not solely because of money. It's like more of just a choice that, you know, I enjoy performing when I can and still creating content, whether it's actual like videos or the written word. And I've been able to kind of just parlay my job as an actress into, I mean, kind of education, advocacy work, and now a book. So it's been like a long journey and I probably will be able to answer like more, a more specific question, but that's just the general story there. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I would love to go back to you said dabbling, you dabbled in escorting. And I'm curious, um, you know, since we are talking about consent, that's a big part of what we're talking about today and making consent sexy. I'm curious, um, I would say a number of my clients have hired escorts, have worked with sex workers in the past. And 
I think that there's a, there can be confusion around how does consent work with an escort versus a quote, normal person. And of course, escorts are normal people, (laughs) they're people, but I think there's a perception around like, how does it work if I've, if I've paid for sex, if there's an exchange going there, how do I ask for what I want? Or what do I do if I'm a person hiring a sex worker? Can you just speak a little bit to your range of experience there and how, how that works for, for particularly men that might not be familiar with it or not know how that works? Yeah, I would say that if you're a man and you have hired a sex worker and paid her for her time, you are owed absolutely nothing and that she should be treated just as you would treat any woman that you were having sex with. And, you know, consent is always the most important part about sex in the bedroom, whether you are paying for somebody's time or whether it is your girlfriend or your wife. And so you need to always ask somebody for permission to touch them, to kiss them. And obviously, depending on the boundaries that you've set with your wife and your girlfriend, you might be more comfortable with kissing them and touching them without having to ask at every, you know, minute. But I feel like when it comes to somebody that you haven't been intimate with, whether it is a sex worker or somebody met at the bar, you need to be extra careful, especially in today's culture. People are not comfortable for the most part with people assuming anything about them. And so it's extremely important now more than ever in today's climate that you're very precautious when it comes to having sex and asking for permission and touching somebody, you know, it can be confusing, I think, to a lot of people, especially older people, older men, because I think so much has changed over the last few decades to a point where they're living in like a different universe. I feel bad for them. Um, and at the same time, it infuriates me sometimes when I have to interact with older men that are antiquated in their ways, but I just don't feel personally like your culture, your background, your generation are any excuse for bad behavior in the United States of America. Like if you're living here and it's 2023, you've got to get with the times. So I definitely would say that before touching somebody, especially somebody that you're just meeting for the first time, which could be a person that you're taking home from a nightclub or could be somebody you're paying money to for their time, you need to ask them what they're comfortable with and be extra thoughtful about it. Because not only could you end up in a legal issue or a lawsuit, but just on a respect level, I feel like it's super important to do and to also like teach your children to do. Yeah. I'm curious in, in your experience, in your personal experience, if you can tell us a story of a man that you feel like did it well, like what did it look like when it was done poorly and around, around consent and what did it look like when it was done well? And then I have a (laughs) follow-up. Sure. Well, I feel like, I feel like my book has plenty of examples of people that have, shown bad behavior when it comes to consent and sexuality. So you can read my book for that. But when it comes to like good behavior, 
I have really been surprised, unfortunately, because it's not, it's not very common, but I feel like anytime I've been on a date with somebody who has just really allowed for me to initiate touch or before going in for a kiss has said, may I kiss you? And has been very communicative, vocally communicative. I feel like that's a great example, you know, because oftentimes people just assume that because you've been on a date that they can go in for a kiss. And that's just not the way that it is. Women don't owe you anything. If they, if you buy them dinner, if you take them shopping, they don't owe you anything. If you paid somebody for their time, they still don't owe you anything. You have to ask for permission to have access to somebody's body period so even like I mean it's it's so tricky because I I don't know I feel like a lot of people never learned that which is crazy to me but um so yeah just a good example would be to say may I kiss you can I touch you can we do this would you like to do that just if you can be over the top with your verbal communication I don't feel like there's ever going to be a time where it's too much. And if it is, I'm sure your partner will will tell you that it's too much. And I've never, I've never had to tell anybody that in my whole life. And I've had quite a bit of sex. So I feel like just to be as communicative verbally as possible and to ask for as much permission, especially, especially when you're getting to know somebody, I feel like it's different when you're you know, in a relationship, of course, you still have to ask people things, but you might know them really well and you might have boundaries set up. But if you're just getting to know somebody, you really, you want to take it, you want to take it slow or at least ask for permission. Yeah. And I, I like your, um, your point about being verbally communicative, because I think that in my experience, most of my clients are so afraid of crossing a boundary that they won't go for anything. And that's kind of a starting point that they're working from. But there's there's sort of like levels of, of um, connection. And one of them is, I'm thinking about kissing you right now. Would that be interesting to you? And then instead of being in your head about it or beating yourself up after a date for saying, God, why didn't I just do it? Verbal communication and asking is kind of a bridge. So I remember I went on a date once and we went back to his apartment and I was looking at his books or something. And we were sitting on opposite sides of his couch, <laughs> looking at each other. And he said, I really want to make out with you right now, but I'm not sure how to make that happen. And I thought that was really sweet. And so I crawled over to his side of the couch. And I think that's a good example of, um, you don't have to be super smooth or suave or, you know, you don't have to do it perfectly, I guess, when it comes to consent and making it sexy. I thought that was really sexy. To me, that was sexy. I was like, yeah, it's totally sexy. It's, I was just thinking like any, if if you're not using your words, it is, it it does feel like assault, right? Like, oh, I, I kissed her and she didn't want it. It's like, well, you didn't ask her. Like, you can't just go about putting it out there, you have, you literally have to use your words, period. 
And I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I, I tried this or that. It's like that you didn't ask for permission. You, you, you crossed a boundary. It's really inappropriate. I don't think there is any other way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels like, like I've been on dates where like, we're getting closer, we're talking, we're, our faces are getting closer. There's a lot of eye contact. It feels like it feels intimate. And I have felt the kind of like, he's coming in and I'm not leaning away. So I do feel like there are certain um, cues, right? That can happen. And when you're nervous about it and you're not sure, I guess that's kind of... That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, when you're nervous and you're not sure. Exactly. From each other, yeah. You can't just go in and kiss them. But yes, you're right. There's plenty of like, if somebody is showing you that they want to be with you physically, okay. But I, I do feel like there's a lot of gray area in interpretation, unfortunately. I just feel like there's a lot of people that might think that because somebody is like wearing a certain outfit, that that is them showing you that they want to fuck. And guess what? It's not. That's what I, that I, I think it's why I'm so kind of not inclined to say that there's a way to show that somebody's into you without using words. Because unfortunately, I've met so many men who I just don't trust when it comes to their perception on whether or not somebody is into them. And I'll just give you a lovely example. Yesterday, I mean, this has nothing to do with like dating, but I feel like it's what kind of what we're talking about. I know it's nuanced because you're right. When you're on a date with somebody, if you have normal social cues, right? And you aren't struggling with maybe a mental issue or something where you're a little different than the norm, then you're right. I, I've been on plenty of dates like two nights ago where I was very into the person. They never had to ask anything. I was showing up and physically available, but I just really teeter to even advise that because most, I I think a lot of people just are not educated enough or they are not like integrated into society enough. They just don't know. So I, I don't know. I can't even speak on that, but yesterday or two days ago, I show up to my son's first birthday and I threw like a huge rager like the biggest best party I have ever attended like a a wedding level party and I dressed up as a mermaid because that's what my hair is like this still but like that's what I wanted to do and I love a good theme also why I was attracted to the Playboy Mansion I fucking could live in a theme my house is a theme like I love themes so I show up and I'm in like my full mermaid garb with my one-year-old child in the back of my car. And I have paid for the entire party by myself. And the valet fucking tries to ruin my day. Like I pull up, I don't even want my car valet because I'm like, I'm in a park it. I want access to my diaper bag. And this creepy guy that I have hired that doesn't know that I have hired him, right? He thinks I'm a worker. He thinks I'm like a hired mermaid at the party because there was hired mermaids at the party. Has the audacity to start like not only flirting with me, but inappropriately flirting with me and making weird sounds and being just like a complete pervert. And I'm looking at this guy and before he can even go any farther with his assumptions of what I'm at, what I want from him because I'm wearing a bra top to my son's 
cute themed mermaid party because that's what mermaids wear. I'm like, I, this is my party. Don't talk to me like that. And it sucks because it's like, nobody deserves to be talked to like that. But I guess I just feel like it's difficult to, it's it's a, it's tricky to tell people like, oh yeah, there's other ways to show that somebody's into you because of things, because of an example like that. And I know that that is kind of like a far-fetched example, but I feel like it's pretty real. Like an everyday example. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's hard because, you know, most of my clients, like all of my clients don't want to be that guy. They don't want to be that, like that is literally the example of the guy they don't want to be who harasses women, basically harasses women. And the thing about those circumstances, when I've lived through things like that is it makes me feel a little less safe in the world, right? I don't feel as safe in the world. It feels bad because it doesn't, it doesn't feel um, yeah, safe. So it's not that a man's attraction is wrong or sharing attraction is wrong, but when it's done like that, it doesn't exactly to your point, there's no consent. There isn't consent. You didn't consent to having that experience in that moment. It was like, that's not, that's not appropriate. And it doesn't make me feel safe versus for example, if you're on a date and you both, you've both opted in there's a certain level of consent, a certain level, not like we're going to bang, but just a certain yeah. level of consent, I right? Know. That's yeah. like, okay, I've shown up, like I'm probably available to be flirted with, right? I've, I've opted into this experience with you and that's totally sure. different. And I'm getting out of my car in a, in a bra top. And now I feel a little less safe in the world because of you. Like that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. So I'm curious. Yeah. In terms of, um, of your experiences with, with men where it's gone well, it seems like a lot of it, and and let's talk about in your work life. So not necessarily in your personal life, but in your work life, the men that you feel like have done it well, do you feel like, yeah, verbal consent has been a big part of that or a verbal asking? And, and I'm particularly wondering about um, in the adult film industry, how does consent work just for people who don't know? Do you have a checklist beforehand? Are you communicating during the scene? Is the director involved? What is that world like? around consent? So consent is a huge part, if not the main part of all sex, but especially in the adult industry, if you are on a set that is above board, I feel like today, in this day and age, people are very aware and very um, just in tune with the importance of consent. And Unfortunately, it took a while for it to get there. And I think that that consensus was formed on all of the times consent was, um, you know, was not respected, but it's changed so much since like 2011 to today. And I think it's really incredible because, you know, it should have always been important, but I feel like it, it's varied. I've had plenty of experiences that were unprofessional and most of them have been professional, especially when it comes to like the performers. I, f- I feel like there's this kind of 
just respect whether you're a man or a woman and you're a performer in the adult industry and you're like acting that day and having sex with somebody for money on film. I feel like there's just kind of like an equality that's there. I also think that because women get paid slightly more or double than the men, I also think that there's like something to be said about that. And I'm not a hundred percent sure about like the correlation, but I just feel like there, for the most part, there is kind of like an equality situation on a set with performers where people want to know what's okay and what's not, because they're just there for the job. And when it comes to directors, I mean, yeah, there's, there are bad apples everywhere in every industry, but overall, I think directors, they want to stay out of trouble and they're, they're not looking to get uh, outed for being an inappropriate set. So like I said, if you're like on an above the board set, I think that people are very in tune with what has happened during the Me Too movement and in the last decade on set and how absolutely inappropriate people have been. And so now there's an awareness. And I, I know that firsthandedly because I came back to shoot a scene for like a bigger name company and like 2019 or something, which is still a while ago. I don't even know. I'm like, have I showed up since then? I don't think I have like for other companies, but anyway, I shot for this company and it was so cool. Like they had all these checklists and all the checklists had like what you're into, what you're not into, what you're okay with, what you're not okay with, what your no's are, what your yeses are. And then the director who was a woman was there talking to us and going over all of it in front of each other. And it was just a really good example of like how it should happen. But I can't say that that's like how it happens everywhere or even for the most part. I just think that this company had been called out for having predators that worked for the company and those guys had been fired. And there were articles about how the performers had had horrible experiences of assault and rape. And so now they had to like clean up, which fine. I mean, great. It's like people, I mean, great that people are doing better is what I'm trying to say. Really sad that something horrible had to happen for them to do better. But I think that's just the way it goes, you know? And, um, but even in, even when I started doing adult, I still, even if some people weren't respectful, I still feel like consent has always been important to me and to a lot of people. And so there's always like permission to be asked when you're on set or there should be. And, you know, if you're a performer and you're not feeling safe, then unfortunately it's your job to advocate for yourself because nobody else will. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about consent during a scene. So it sounds like one of the things that has always struck me about porn in general is that I almost never see communication between the people in the scenes. I never really see him saying, how's that pressure? Right. Or, or like asking how things are going for her. And so, you know, as a sex researcher myself and in my course, teaching men how to have sex with women, well, from what women want, that's a big part of it is sort of teaching them how to ask for feedback during sex so that they can actually be pleasing her so that it's not, I'm just trying things out and I'm hoping they're working. And I know for me, you know, for example, in the sex research, one thing that comes up is 
how rough men are with their hands, with their hands and their fingers that a lot of women are like, ow. So women's top sex problem often is pain. Um, it's too much. It's too rough. It's too fast. And, but I never see like that part of communication between performers happen in, in, in pornography. I'm curious, have you ever done a scene where that was part of it? Or it it just doesn't seem like it's part of the culture, right? So I like to say that porn is not your sex educator. It is not for you to learn how to have sex. Because if it was, I would be institutionalized. I would be so upset. Like I would feel so guilty. That weight is not on me. I am not like a trained sex educator. I am not there to like, I mean, first of all, like I said, I'm not even actively currently performing in movies, but I feel like when I say me, I just mean adult actors are not there to teach you how to have sex. That's for your parents. That's for the government. That's for the school system. Like that has nothing to do with porn. So I just, it really aggravates me that people are learning from porn because I know that they are. It's just, that's not the intention of porn. Porn is like for entertainment. Like when you go and watch, you know, a movie on the big screen. And that's, I think, really confusing for a lot of a lot of men. And I've I've done research on this. And and you're right, porn was never meant to be an education, a place for education. But because our culture is so, uh, we have there's it's absent. We, you know, almost half of the states have no sex education, and most sex education is mandated that you cannot talk about pleasure. So you, you can talk about STIs and you can talk about birth control, but you can't talk about pleasure and you can't talk about connection in sex. So the, things like my course, Please for In Bed, I created in part because there's nothing really out there. There's nothing out there, particularly for women teaching men, like women who have sex with men teaching men. There's not a lot out there. And so porn does become a default. And what's extra confusing in this conversation about consent is I love that checklist thing. I love that, it, you know, a lot of adult performers have That's not our job, though, is to show you behind the scenes. Right. But that is confusing because if you're a man watching... It, and the average age, I think, for, for boys now is 11 years old is when a lot of boys and young That's men are starting to watch... That's attention. That's a parent no. and a text fault. That's not us. That's like... No, no. Yeah. Download the spyware on your on your phones make yeah. it illegal, figure, get a paywall going, make it so that you have to pay for your porn so that pornographers and performers are compensated and that children aren't watching porn. That's on capitalism. That's nothing. Yeah. I feel like it's, and I know your intent of course is not to in any way perpetuate the attack on the adult industry, but I just feel like it's infuriating as a mom and as a performer, because it's, not the issue of pornographers. It's just not. Yeah. And what I was saying was that for men watching porn or boys, they don't see the consent part. They don't see the checklist. They don't see the conversation. They don't, they don't see any of that. And so if you're just watching it and you haven't seen that, you think they haven't talked about it. So yeah, it's, super it's super confusing because you're watching a scene that has actually been discussed among more than just the two people, you know, there's all of this consent that's going on that you don't see. So then you assume, oh, I've got to be a man who goes after what he wants, or I've got to be this way, or like, it's not sexy or cool for me to ask 
How is this pressure? How's this going for you? Just checking in. Are you okay? Because they don't see any of that. And it's some of the only, it's some of the only sex education they're going to get. And so there's this huge missing piece beforehand. The industry is actually doing a pretty, it sounds like from the people I've spoken to doing a pretty good job of now that's completely missed by people that are consuming it. And they're, and, and it, yeah. So just, I just was curious about that. and And it's for adults. So like for it to get in to hands of minors is such a bigger issue. It's that's a societal issue, you know, like, I don't know. I'm not a tech wizard, but I know that there's plenty of spyware and things you can download software on your computers to your phones to blockade your kids from seeing anything that's inappropriate for their age group. And like my own nephews, for instance, like I remember my sister approached me pretty aggressively. It was like, so-and-so's you know, look, looking at this website and what are we, what am I going to do about it? It had nothing to do with me, but you know, I could tell that she was angry and I'm like, well, did you take the time? Cause you live in like a big mansion in Calabasas. Did you take the time to hire like somebody to come out and to download all the software on all the computers that you gave your kid? Why does he have a laptop at age 11 anyway? But outside of like, you know, using it for typing, like what, why did you not do, take the responsibility to do that? I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, people have a hard time, like just owning up to letting their kids watch like violence and murder on in movies and on television or pornography, which I feel like shouldn't even be comparable, but is because it's like adult entertainment. And yeah, I don't know. I think that the only way to bridge that gap is to figure out a better solution to sex education for children. And that is a tricky topic because people have different religions and different beliefs and they don't maybe want their kids to know about sex until their wedding day. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the solution. I wish I did. It's, it's horrible. I think I agree. I think it's, I think it's terrifying that somebody is learning sex from pornography. It's like my worst nightmare because as a adult performer, like anytime I'd ever show up to a film, it's like, I want to put on a performance as like a show. So the people are at home thinking, wow, that's something like I've never seen before. And like, that's hot. And not that it's supposed to be educating that one how to have sex with somebody. It's like crazy to me, but I totally agree. I think it's just the default. Disgusting, but you know what? There's like there are some people. Uh, Jessica Drake from Wicked Pictures is a fabulous sex educator, and she has an entire series where she is not just the sex educator, but she's also the performer that's in the movies, and she hires people, and she you know teaches geri- geriatric people how to have sex, and all sorts of different types of people how to have sex, and she's also an amazing actress in fantasy adult film. And I think that she has really taken that on and it's incredible. I think it's like wicked teaches sex or something. I don't know, but Jessica Drake, she's, so some people do that and that's important, but I I don't know many people are watching it because it's behind a paywall. Yeah. And I'm curious in your experience, you know, dating you know, do you, do you tell men what you do? Do you find that it changes their perception of you? We just have a lot, I feel like we have still have a lot of stigma around sex work. I'm really looking forward to it being fully legalized (laughs) and not having it be 
shrouded in all of the things that it's shrouded in, but what is your dating life like in that arena? So this is going to sound like very LA, but I just kind of feel like I am the manifester of my reality. It's like whatever I want to live is like what I'm living. And so I just don't like give any energy to that. None whatsoever. And it does sound a little bit like I'm in denial, but I'm not because I feel like I attract other artists into my life or people that are very much supportive of me. And that's like what I attract into into my center. And I don't allow for anything that is other than that. And so usually if I, if I've said yes to a date, that person knows who I am, what I'm about, what my occupation is. I'm very transparent. And, you know, at the same time, I don't want to lead with it. So even if they do, I know that everybody knows, but I'm not talking about it because to me, there's so many more important things about me. Um, but it's crazy after the pandemic and only fans taking off. It's like I'm living in a different decade or something. I mean, people, everybody, everybody has an OnlyFans. Everybody makes porn. And obviously I'm exaggerating. I'm embellishing. But I actually truly feel like that. Like there's, especially like the Gen Zers, they give no fucks. It's wild. And then on top of that... Living in LA County, living in California, but then LA County, then like this, the little area in LA County I live, it's like everybody's kind of in entertainment. So many people have sex tapes. So many people have OnlyFans. It's talked about as just like a household name and the normalization of that. And I really think it's like the words that we use, the vernacular we use has changed things for the better. And so I just try not to focus on being othered because I feel like I don't care if it's that you're a sex worker or if you're a single mom, like I am, like if you internalize those bad stereotypes or like those negative feelings about yourself, I just feel like you'll attract it. Like you just can't, I don't, I try not to give too much attention to it, but I do know, you know, it's not as easy for everybody to just like, feel that way or to like try to feel that way, especially if they're living in other parts of the country. But I I feel like, you know, yeah, that's because sex work is broad. So there are people living in all, all places in this country. I mean, I used to feature dance on the road all the time. So I've spent a lot of time in the South and the Midwest, especially Ohio randomly. And, you know, it's different for people in Ohio as a sex worker, for instance, like at a strip club, like they have major repercussions that are real life. They affect them. It's, it's gnarly. And I mean, not to say that I don't have any, but I just feel like personally, it's my goal to not live in that shadow because I, I just feel like when I, when I joined the business, it was much darker for me. It was like, I just felt so ashamed, even though like I enjoyed it. And there were things about it that I thought were like glamorous and cool. I felt very ashamed. And then I was able to kind of have this realization that like, I didn't have to feel that way. And it feels really good. Yeah. I'm curious because so many of my clients and the men that I work with do feel a lot of sexual shame and they do feel a lot of 
they sort of feel like, is there something wrong with me? Am I gross for wanting the things that I want? I'm, I'm so curious to hear, how did you do that? How did you, how did you overcome that shame? Do you think it was just being around other people that had already kind of moved through that or what, what do you remember? Oh, I think when I really started, I mean, this is like so superficial, but it's not, everybody is not going to be able to have this opportunity, but like basically, okay. So my, my dad had died when I was 20 years old and he was a very successful real estate developer and he was remarried for like the third time to a woman who was my stepmom since I was two years old. And she had like disowned me, but it wasn't because of porn. It was just like financial things that, you know, people die. Families get torn apart when it comes to finances and drama. So, I mean, my job might've been like a scapegoat for her, but she wasn't talking to anybody else either that hadn't done porn. So it had nothing to do with my job. So basically, financially, I had depended on my dad. And then when he died, I had nobody but myself, which a lot of people are stuck in that situation, but I wasn't used to that. So then she died when I was in my late 20s. And then I was able to like get my inheritance that I was owed from my dad or owed that my dad left to me for when I was much younger. But anyway, I got it later on in life. And I feel like the fact that I didn't have to like, I guess, depend on porn to pay my bills. And I didn't have, not, not that that was the only job I qualified for, but just, it was my job. That's how I paid my bills. And so like the fact that I didn't have to depend on it for work, but then I could just do it and make money, but just enjoy doing it or like still do it casually for whatever reason. I guess the fact that I had like security, financial security, that's what it was. It made me feel like less insecure. I hadn't really thought about that actually until right now, but I think that that must have been, that's what I remember. That's how I I remember feeling. And then I was like, well, I don't feel so insecure. So I don't have to be. And then I just like reached out to all these people that I hadn't talked to in forever. And I just kind of had like this revelation where I was like, I am just going to live in the light. I'm going to be transparent because there's no other way to be, right? Because, you know, the videos I've made are out forever. So I'm like, I'm just going to own this and I'm just going to have a different attitude. And I was also very grateful. So it was like this combination that had all come together. So I know it's not like super relatable, but that's my truth. (laughs) Answer though. I mean, it's honest and it feels like, yeah, financial security does bring choice with it. So it's not exactly the same as consent between two people, but there is a there are millions and arguably billions of women around the world who don't have a lot of choice around finances and financial security and it affects everything. It affects everything. And so maybe they're staying with someone who's financially supporting them. Is it real consent? I mean, is it do they really have choice if they don't have choice around it? then there's all this other stuff that comes along with it. And it becomes, it starts to be really complicated. And, you know, I think feelings like shame can grow in that environment versus when we have real choice and we know we have real choice, the world starts to look different. So as we're kind of starting to wrap up, can you tell us more about your book, why you wrote it and um, who it's for? 
Yeah. So my book was supposed to be a memoir and it just kind of turned into what I feel a bunch of stories about like inappropriate sexual assault and boundaries being crossed, (laughs) but with a super interesting intro and like a backstory to get you there, which is fun. I think for the reader, because they're like not maybe expecting the way that the story actually goes. Um, And I wrote it for my fans, but hopefully for people that don't really know about the back end of the adult entertainment industry and haven't been able to like put a face to actors or actresses. And I think it would, it would be good for people to like read firsthand perspective from a sex worker, even though there's so many out there, there's not enough out there. So I felt like I needed to contribute. And also it was very cathartic being able to just like unload all this information, even though now I feel like I outed myself in ways where I'm like feeling the shame again, a little bit uncomfortable to like go home to my hometown or to see certain people after they read the book, especially if they were in the book, even if it's like under a different name. I feel like I have at least just kind of dumped this information and I can like move forward in my life and do other things. Um, And ultimately, I really wanted to drive home the point about how pivotal and important consent is in porn and in sex, but really in porn, porn sex um, on set for performers and how people should care about the well-being of the performers because it's the content that they consume and they need to be more thoughtful consumers. And and I think something quickly about how, you know, um, how sex education in America is so bad. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of different things were mixed into that pot, but it wasn't on purpose. It was just natural. It was organic. It was organic. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm curious too about your um yeah, your own kind of what you're passionate about now and what you're doing. So you have an OnlyFans, and that's been um it has freed up a lot of performers to earn their own money rather than being dependent on gatekeepers. That's my understanding of it. But can you walk us through a little bit of how your life has changed personally because you are kind of in control of your content now in a way that you maybe weren't before? Yeah, I think OnlyFans has done a few things, but most notably for me, I feel like it's normalized the adult industry in a way that I have never seen before. And anything that nobody, that anybody's ever, ever seen before. I mean, it's become so much more a part of our culture without as much shame. And then for the performers themselves, including myself, it's given us the opportunity to still make money without having to depend on directors and producers and agents to make the money, creating freedom within an industry that is sometimes not so free. So it's a very, very lovely idea. And I, I don't really mean to repeat the word OnlyFans because that's not the only platform that is out there like them. There's many platforms. But that concept of being able to upload content and make money and not just have like a website that you created, but have a hub where a lot of traffic is being pushed, 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 and is a lot easier. And you don't have to invest a bunch of money and time and energy. I mean, it's still money, time and energy, but it's not the same as like creating your own website from scratch. 
So it's just given people that maybe weren't, weren't interested in being in the adult industry or even on OnlyFans the opportunity to make passive income, which is lovely. But you know, there's still huge production companies that are legit and it would, you know, it's an honor to shoot for them or for, I'm sure for the women that are still like shooting for them, it's still, you know, the adult business is still, um, has a traditional way about it. It's not like it took away the adult business completely, but it's just given people the opportunity to still make an income without having to be in the top 1% of models. Um, and people, I feel like you're, you're more able to like live your life and passively make money, which is, which is really important. And, um, I think it's, it's great. So, yeah, Yeah, I don't have an OnlyFans, but I do have a Patreon and a number of you listening are patrons of my Patreon. And for me, I feel a sense of security knowing that I have a certain amount coming in each month that does cover my production costs for the podcast. And I'm deeply appreciative of that, especially the ongoing nature of it. Because I think OnlyFans is the same way where there's monthly donors. And there's something really um, grounding for me as a, as a creator of knowing I have people that have my back, that I have supporters, that I have that income coming in every month. So it's not like I'm constantly scrambling or I have to constantly hustle for something that there's that just sort of undergirding or that feeling of a foundation. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. And if you are listening and you want to become a patron, you can just go to dear men podcast, Patreon, and it'll come right up. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So as we start to wrap up here, I'm just curious, um, where people can find you, I guess if they just Google you and only fans that that'll come up, but, um, where can they find the book and, and all of that stuff? So you can find my book from princess to porn star, a real life Cinderella story at any local bookstore or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or just anywhere where you get your books. And then to find my only fans, you could just go to TashaRain.tv. Yay! And any last thoughts on how men who are listening, who want to do it right, who are striving to be good men in the world, can make consent sexy? I think that consent is always sexy. And if you want to make it sexier, I think asking for permission is your first step and really not worrying about not sounding sexy because I'm telling you as a woman and as a pornographic actress that there's nothing unsexy about asking somebody if you can touch them. Oh, I love that. And I would say similarly, you leading with what you want and then saying, how does that feel for you is always a good way of of saying it. So like the guy said, I would like to make out with you. How does that feel for you is another kind of inviting way of asking for consent and leading with what you want, which is, which is uh, deeply powerful. I love that. Yay. Okay. 